0: Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Tuesday, December 1st here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe as we're into the officially December. Uh, you know, a lot of people say December, start of winter. And you know, we're still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. So everyone had a safe and healthy Thanksgiving weekend. No, it wasn't the same as normal years, but Still a lot to be thankful for, even in this really difficult, trying, uh, never-ending 2020 year. Coming up today on the podcast is me and Coach Sass get into college football, college basketball. We talk about a lot of things going on in the whole college football, college basketball landscapes. Uh, Shout out to Sarah Fuller, kicker for Vanderbilt, steps in, you know, Vanderbilt didn't give her any chances to kick a field goal or an extra point, but she came in, she did her job after a day and a half of practice, and it was just awesome, awesome to see history being made, which was just awesome to see, and we get into that a little bit later on in the podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to hit the music, and when we come back is my conversation from earlier today with Max S. line this week once again it's my friend former coach Max ass coach what's going on
1: now much honored honored per usual to be back and uh excited even even more than I am honored to to be talking some pigskins, some hoops et al with you.
0: I appreciate it. first and foremost, how is your Thanksgiving?
1: Oh uh, it was it was it was wonderful. It was gluttonous but it was wonderful. Um <laughs> You know, it was small this year, obviously. Um, couldn't do a big thing because right. COVID it was, it was nice to, you know, see my parents, see my youngest brother, um, even in a socially distanced setting. And, um, you know, it, it, it was nice just to kind of get to celebrate as a family. How was yours?
0: It was good. It was similar, just, just the force at home. Very nice, very quiet. I feel like I ate more than usual because the football <laughs> games were so uh, uncompetitive that, I feel like I wasn't as distracted by an exciting game going on that I was like, sure, I'll have a little more stuffing. I, sure. Another piece uh, of pie. That's true, but I was going to say you, as an admitted Gonzaga fan, must yes. have been flying high,
1: and, and may, I'm sure we're going to touch on Gonzaga later, um, but you know that, that day was a great game against
0: Kansas. They ended up pulling away in the second half. You must have been over the moon. I was pretty uh, excited. They looked really good. Uh, we'll talk about them later, but it was it was a pretty good, uh, you know, four hours where Gonzaga played great. Deshaun Watson held held, held it down for my fantasy team, and then uh, and then we got to watch whatever the Cowboys Washington Football Team game was, which wasn't uh, which was kind of a snoozer, but you know, and then we went into a weird weekend of college football where there were tons and tons of games postponed, some outright canceled. We had another Florida state situation where the game gets canceled Saturday morning, but overall we have two weeks left of the regular season. The playoff picture is starting to come into full form, come into shape. What are just, what are just some things that you're looking for as we now in these, these last two weeks of the season, what are some of these storylines that that you're following?
1: Well, you know, I think, just to be a contrarian, I think one of the storylines that I'm following is that because of COVID, as much as the playoff picture seems to be coming into shape, it might actually be foggier than ever. Uh, And I'm sure we'll talk more about Ohio state, but, um, you know, for me, I was looking forward to sitting down on the couch on Saturday, watching them beat up on Illinois, but (laughs) you know, obviously, that, that game didn't happen. um, you know, one of the things that I was looking at, and maybe we can dive right into the Iron Bowl. Is yep. that I thought, you know, Gus Malzahn is one of the few coaches in the country who have ever provided a challenge for Nick Saban, and um, I guess he didn't provide a challenge for Nick Saban in the sense that Nick Saban was not physically there. Um, but but I was just a little disappointed in it, disappointed in the showing Auburn had in that game, or maybe on the other hand, just really impressed by how dang good Alabama is.
0: Yeah, so it was an interesting week because, you know, we're getting ready for the Iron Bowl. Nick Saban tests positive for the coronavirus. He had tested positive earlier in the season going up against the Georgia game but that turned out to be a false positive. This time, it was a true positive. He's out and I think we were texting a little bit about he was going to be in a helicopter above the stadium, (laughs) stadium, calling plays but the SEC mainly for this is rule is in effect, which is basically like if you aren't eligible to, to coach or be on the field, you can't have any communication in the event that there is a, you know, if a coach gets suspended, I think was the intention behind the rule that if they're suspended, they can't keep coaching from home. I it was kind of nice reading the stories after the game of how Saban was yelling at the TV. It seemed like he was kind of like a fan, like a diehard Alabama fan, like everyone else. I was stunned at how uncompetitive the game was. Alabama obviously has an awesome offense. Mac Jones was incredible, but they were just moving the ball down the field at will, really, and I was really surprised at, not that they won or that they won big, but I don't think the score did it justice.
1: I I agree. It really just felt like complete and utter domination. Um, and, And don't forget, they are without maybe the best player in the country. Um, Not saying the guy who would have won the Heisman, uh, but, you know, Devontae Smith, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, not having him as a weapon on the outside is, it definitely hurts their offensive passing attack, but at the same time, it's, they are so talented across the board that guys are stepping up. They, their wide receivers right now are doing what their defense used to always do for years and years, where six or seven guys would get drafted and then all of a sudden it would be some new redshirt junior or redshirt sophomore who just hadn't had a chance to play because he was behind four NFL guys, comes in and he's awesome too. And that's been really fun to, to watch is watching these guys in a COVID-affected season you never know who's going to get an opportunity, which game, which weekend. Those guys are really stepping up and performing really well.
1: Yeah, and Dave, just to correct myself, I meant Jalen
0: Waddle. Waddle, Waddle, yeah. Was, you're right. That's yeah. who they were out with. Devontae Smith, my point about Devontae Smith, and, and
1: I had them flip there for a minute, so forgive me, but, you know, Mac Jones is having a ridiculous year, but he might be the third best player on his own offense.
0: Which is kind of crazy, especially because. Najee Harris is following the the history of dominating Alabama running backs, whether it's Mark Ingram, Derek Henry, Bo Scarborough. The list goes on and on, and Najee Harris feels like, to me, some team's going to pick him in the second or third round, and he's just going to be a stud. He should be a first-round pick the way Clyde uh, Edwards-Alaire was from, from LSU, but the dude in the SEC he just gets like five or six yards it feels like at least every time he touches the ball
1: yeah he's averaging six yards a carry this year uh he's up to just shy of 900 yards on the season uh and with 17 touchdowns i mean 17 touchdowns it's 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 ridiculous and and the other impressive thing is that i think his game has really evolved um you know his freshman and junior... His freshman and sophomore season at Alabama, excuse me, he had a combined 10 receptions, and obviously, you know, I think we've talked about it in past episodes, the way the game has changed, that a running back is not just the bell cow guy who's going to carry the ball mm-hmm. 35 times a game anymore. They have to be able to block, and they have to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. Well, last year, uh, Najee Harris had uh, 27 catches. This year, in... You know, fewer games. He's already had 24 receptions. So it feels to me he's really expanded his game. Um, Obviously, it's always a risk to come back for your senior year when you have an NFL draft grade on you. But um, I I mean, he's helped his stock as much as anybody, arguably.
0: And a guy who keeps hurting his stock is the quarterback. On the flip side, Bo Nix, who came in with he was a five-star quarterback, started as a true freshman plays a great first game. If I can remember correctly, they beat Oregon, I want to say. And... You know, that was a weird game just to hop in because, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Bo Nix actually played pretty terribly in that yeah, game. Yeah, but he ended then, really well. But he ended up throwing an awesome game-winning touchdown, and everyone was like, oh, forget the previous 59 minutes. Right, exactly. And But what's interesting is that we're all accustomed to like the progressions players go on from their freshmen as they, as they get older, which is, you would think that his decision-making would get better and that he wouldn't be as inconsistent, or at least that's the hope, because he is insanely talented. He is an awesome athlete. His arm strength is really good, but when you watch him against Alabama, and really if you watch him the whole season, for every good play he makes, he makes one just stupid play or not-so-great play, and it's and it's usually not like and it's usually some type of decision making or doesn't set his feet right or you know scrambles and does a spin move instead of just sliding so down right yeah and it, it's the kinds of things David that last year we would have just said freshman, freshman, <laughs> freshman mistake exactly and now well, it's more and, and, and it's
1: it's hard to call it a freshman mistake
0: yes by <laughs> and because when when you look at them they Auburn should be a top 14 team top 15 team because they have a super talented quarterback and they have a lot of talent uh, on the whole roster but it's they just can't get out of their own way sometimes because bo nix put them puts the team into bad situations
1: can i ask you a question about this college football season yeah teams are only playing conference schedules Mm -hmm. and it sort of made me wonder how much weight to give statistics as in should we be a little bit more understanding of guys um it, it because there's no just but no sort of warm-up in that sense i, I say said it because I'm, I'm looking at bo Nix and you know he last year he threw six interceptions in 377 passing attempts mm mm-hmm. Um, this year he's had 260 passing attempts and already has seven interceptions. So should we be saying, Oh my God, he's getting worse. Or should we be saying, Oh my God, he's playing only SEC competition. Cause on the flip side of it, he has raised his completion percentage from 57 and a half last year to just over 61% this year. So I, I guess what I'm saying is how much do the stats matter this year, um, versus how much is there an asterisk next to it for you?
0: I think that's a really interesting question, a really interesting point about teams only playing conference only. So especially because the SEC is still the best conference, right? Like how much should we be putting into like, hey, a running back who doesn't get the couple big games in the non-conference play? Like Travis Etienne's stats at Clemson are awesome and they were going to be awesome, but... Especially against the ACC and their ACC schedule, like I don't put an asterisk on them, but like, you know, I think that's what makes Mac Jones's season even crazier is that he's doing it only against SEC play. The way I kind of view Bo Nix and it's like it's you know it's hard because it's like a case by case player by player thing, which is his stats are improved from last year. That is what that is very very true and 100 true. But when you're watching him play for the most part against good teams this year he struggles with the eye test it's like the it's the numbers versus the eye test and when you are watching him like you know when you just look at the stats on the Alabama game he completed over 60% of his passes over 200 yards and but he had two bad interceptions like and it's, it's just like I don't know if I put an asterisk on because it's only conference play, but it's still like he's not—he's not improving to the to the level that I thought he would be. Well,
1: just to stay on Bo Nix for a minute, I thought this was fascinating. So, their Auburn is five and three this year, okay? And in the five wins, uh, Kentucky, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU, and Tennessee, um, Bo Nix has thrown.
0: Uh, one interception
1: he's thrown. Yeah. I believe he's thrown all 10 of his touchdowns in wins. No, I'm sorry. He's thrown not nine, nine touchdowns and one interception Uh, versus one touchdown and six interceptions and in their three losses. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, what <laughs> is Bo Nix that? Key to, um, that key to Auburn, or is he just so Does he just fluctuate so much based on his opponent? And that's what I'm struggling to figure out. Because I would get it if it was only Georgia and Alabama, but when you yeah. throw South Carolina in there, you know, one touchdown against three interceptions, that's a little confusing.
0: Yeah, the South Carolina game doesn't make a lot of sense. uh just in his game log, you really just like what makes sense about that game (laughs) and and really like a couple of the others because they have played you know lsu is down this year and he played great against them 300 Uh, yards three touchdowns exactly like he played really well at lsu but then the following week against you know tennessee who is a you know fine you know below average sec team this year they're two and five he really struggled You know, one touchdown, one interception and only ran for 10 yards on nine attempts. Like, I don't know. He's he's the most perplexing player.
1: I can't figure him out.
0: And you watch him play and he has a great drive. You're like this dude, future NFL first round pick. Awesome dual threat. Right. Can do everything. And then literally the next player, like, does Auburn have anybody else (laughs) to play quarterback?
1: Right. It's so confusing. I, I, yeah. But, and, and not to keep us on the iron bolt too long, but I, I just had an interesting thought that I wanted to get your opinion on quickly mm-hmm. um, on the other side of it. Because Alabama, it, it, what, what Nick Saban is, what, I think undefeated against former assistants?
0: Yes, I, yes. I still think so, yeah.
1: Um, at least in the SEC. And, it, you know, there's now two openings in the SEC, South Carolina and um Vanderbilt. Right. And one of the names for Vanderbilt is Charles Huff, who is, I believe, the running backs coach at Alabama and twenty four seven sports uh top recruiter in the class of twenty twenty. I mean he he's I think a very good football coach, but he's known as being just an absolute stud recruiter. He's got some ties to Vanderbilt. I believe he was on staff there when James Franklin was there, um for what was frankly Vanderbilt's
0: Best run. period. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so I, I think, for me, when I was looking at some of the candidates, and I think there are some other really interesting candidates, but it felt to me like if you're a program like Vanderbilt or even South Carolina, the only way you're ever going to win is hire a guy who can get really talented players. I think recruiting is the most important thing in college football. Just point blank.
0: Agreed. Um,
1: and, 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 but then my question is, I started thinking about it. What's the ultimate goal in the SEC? And the goal is, right, to win the SEC, and the only way to do that is to beat Alabama. Yeah. But an assistant's never beaten Nick Saban. So, uh, do you automatically disqualify Alabama assistants if you're an SEC team now? Uh, you, you see what I'm kind of asking?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting question because, you know, Kirby Smart has done really, really well at Georgia, has been recruiting great, made the national championship game, but he hasn't been able to get over the hump and, and beat Alabama. Uh, but I still think Georgia would hire Kirby Smart again. I Absolutely. I think it's. I think what's interesting is that it's very, very similar to the way teams hire Belichick assistants in the NFL, where, as you know, Joe Judge is the coach of my New York Giants, my favorite team, but he was the special teams coordinator. And, yes, he's done well so far. We're somehow in first place at four and seven. But people hired him because or he was a name in the coaching search because he was a Belichick guy. Matt Patricia, Belichick guy, hasn't worked out. Brian, Brian Flores has done great in. Jets head coach, Matt Patricia. If we yeah. Can just call him the t- <laughs> but we also saw that with Sean McVay, where it just yeah. became trendy, you know. Zach Taylor was the quarterback's coach, for, I think for one season, maybe two, and then he got the Bengals job. Uh, I don't Without think. Without calling plays, right? Because McVay yeah. called the play. With, so I wouldn't go completely against a Saban assistant, because I think that if you got a long-time coach, like I would, like if, i was south carolina i would think about steve sarkeesian because he's coached at other places usc washington he's had his own personal problems but he's been around Saban long enough uh it's not like the one year wonders where it's hey you coach for one year as a stop uh it's like a pit stop onto on your coaching journey those are the guys who i would hesitate against and i would go for the guys who are around them a lot longer but to your vanderbilt point one of the Vanderbilt is a great school, and it's a really, really hard place to recruit because you're at the bottom of the SEC. It's probably the it's definitely the toughest school to get into in the SEC. I would look for someone who has recruited to a similar type of school where I would look at the Northwestern coach and say, he's built that Northwestern team. They have up and down years, but he recruits pretty well up to Northwestern, which is a great school. He competes in the Big Ten. I would look for guys who have recruited at that level, because he is a great recruiter at Alabama. But you're also handing out Alabama scholarship offers and right. and and convincing guys to come compete in the College World Playoff basically every year, and not, uh, let's just say a s- startup program at Vanderbilt.
1: All right, give me and obviously Pat Fitzgerald is not going anywhere. He's a Northwestern. Yeah. But I think you're right. Let me ask you a crazy question.
0: Shoot. If
1: James Franklin is one in five this year. Yeah. What? If you were, if you were Las Vegas
0: uh uh-huh.
1: city, but the metaphor, and I wanted to bet on James Franklin being the next Vanderbilt head coach, what odds would you put on it?
0: More than 10 to one. I think it, I, I think, I think it's a much better chance he leaves for Texas or USC then he goes back to to Vanderbilt.
1: OK, I think you're right. I don't. In fact, I don't think he's leaving Penn State at all. Yeah, they're I don't not either. Him. And, and I think he's actually got some talent in the coverage still there. And they're just having a really from year, which happens.
0: Yeah. Um, I also think that it's likely that it's such an interesting thought. Yeah, I also think it's likelier that he goes to Michigan if they get rid of Harbaugh than him go back to, to Vanderbilt. Unless Vanderbilt doubles his salary or something, like something crazy. Um,
1: Well, it is a new AD.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, if James Franklin was president of the university and head football (laughs) coach. Uh, But as college coaches and college football coaching proves, you can never say never about anything. Uh, But I would look for Chris Peterson the former Boise and Washington coach, if he wants yes. to come back into football, he would be the top of my list because he built Boise State into something. Washington has historically had a pretty solid football team, but they're not a recruiting powerhouse where where you think about the best players in the country are going to Washington. And he built a pretty solid program up there while he was there. He would be the top of my list. If, if Pat Fitzgerald isn't going anywhere, he would be the top of my list at Vanderbilt.
1: Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Chris Peterson's an interesting dude like they were really good and he left like I'm yeah. not sure I think he just might be I, I, I don't know it's interesting I've been reading a lot about all these openings Um, you know like for example South Carolina has a five star quarterback committed in the class of 2022 you have to bring in someone or retain someone on that current staff to keep that guy right. he might be more important than the actual coach <laughs>
0: interesting yeah
1: In a sense, and, you know, Michigan, like, is convinced that the only reason, you know, like, Jim Harbaugh is the saver because he's a Michigan man, and that's why he's better than, you know, Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez, but now all of a sudden it's like, we don't need a Michigan man. There's just a lot of questions, you know. Tom Herman is recruiting as well as any Texas coach in the country has, but now all of a sudden people are following flight plans to see if Urban Meyer's (laughs) wife is flying down you know and and
0: i it just feels to me first of all
1: it's just a brutal industry right yeah. like but i just feel like there's so many deeper questions and and i wonder man i just there there's some really interesting ones and maybe we should just do like a a a a coach's hot seat episode one day in a couple yeah. week when you know eventually Jim Harbaugh stays or or, or leaves, and, and, you know, whatever happens, because some of the dominoes will start to fall. But, um, yeah, it's just so interesting to me.
0: And so sticking with the SEC, the biggest story from the SEC this weekend probably wasn't the Iron Bowl or any other game, the Egg Bowl, whatever. It was Vanderbilt going with Sarah Fuller, the, the goalie on the SEC champion Vanderbilt women's soccer team. They... Activate her, sign her, you know, have her join the football team as all of their specialists are in COVID. Either they have COVID or they're in COVID isolation contact tracing protocols. They were going to go into that game with no kicker. And we saw that at the beginning of the season where I can't remember what team it was, but they were down their long snappers. And it just completely just wrecked the whole game plan because. People realize how important long snapping was. But what was really, really interesting was that they went to the soccer team and they went to the goalie, which to me makes a lot of sense because the goal kick in soccer is the most similar to the kickoff in football. And she only had two days to practice. She literally won the SEC the weekend before. Vanderbilt's offense was so bad she could only do one kickoff, and she executed – what was the game plan of just pinning them at a certain part of the field really well? Do you think that we'll see more soccer players, male and female, become kickoff specialists? Because I kind of do. I don't know how it would work with the scholarships and how, you know, the roster management stuff, stuff like that. But if you're just looking for someone to do a goal kick, like just a kickoff touchback, they're moving, you know, the ball's moved up, it's a lot easier now. I think. I would kind of like that. I think it'd be really cool if it was just just if, if it was like, hey, here's the goalie. They are the soccer team's home on Friday. She's going to kick on Saturday. She's going to do the the kickoffs when we score and do touchbacks, or the the men's kicker if they're home that that weekend. I think that'd be pretty cool.
1: It's a really interesting idea. Um, it's interesting. First of all, what what's what Vanderbilt did? Bravo! Hats off to them. Hats off to yeah. Fuller it was a really cool moment i mean you could make an argument that
0: um you know Derek Mason's just been a really progressive coach in terms
1: of um a lot of the racial equality and you know he's fighting for racial equality and after seeing racial inequality and um obviously activating a female kicker he's been really at the forefront of these things part of me worries that it might have gotten him fired. Not because he did a bad thing. He did a great thing. But because so many eyeballs were on them that when they scored literally zero points.
0: Yeah, um, it was a tough loss.
1: Just, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But um, to answer your question, I, I think... I, 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 mean, maybe, I, I
0: think the problem is that they're in different seasons, which makes it really hard. I think one thing that we might see... The way that we might see it is
1: um, guys staying for a fifth year, okay. right? So like if you are you play soccer for four years and then you come be the kicker or the kickoff guy for your fifth year um, because you still have football eligibility. You know, there was a really interesting story at the beginning of this season. There's a guy named Tanner Tessman, okay? And he was committed to Clemson to play soccer and be the kicker. I think he's actually Dabo Sweeney's godson. Okay. But right before he enrolled at Clemson to play both sports, um, FC Dallas
0: of the MLS offered him a, a, a full professional contract. Oh, wow. He that, and he's been very good for FC Dallas this year. In the MLS, uh, yeah. And
1: and he's been, um, he, you know, he's like 18 or 19 years old. So he, he's a guy that is, you know, good enough that will eventually, I believe, factor into the U.S. men's national team plans. He'll be, um, he'll be probably playing in the u-20 World Cup and maybe the Olympic qualifying which is u23 wow. coming up next summer so so he's good and he he made that decision so I my point is there is crossover mm-hmm. um, and and I wonder if there's guys like Tessman who are just not quite as good at soccer um, that are not quite good enough to be professional yeah that the double duty will happen more
0: I just I, I I just wonder because football coaches are so meticulous about everything and that they want to have a plan for everything. And you have 85 scholarships and a bunch of walk-on spots. And they work on and plan everything out so meticulously. I would think that one of these crazy football coaches would – want to have a specific a lot of teams already have kickoff specific kickers and a field goal specialist and then a long field goal specialist uh yeah. you know just what? you know I don't think you know this is just my opinion I don't think the male female thing should matter on kickoffs because worst you know worst case scenario those guys the the, the kickoff the the kickoff person Never really gets tackled, and all they do is that if someone ever comes near them, they just die for the feet. And if they get them, it's like, oh my god, the kicker got them. And if they don't, it's like, well, it's the kicker. It's like the lowest risk <laughs> tackle ever, and it's just a goal kick that you just kick out of the end zone. Like, I don't know. I think these coaches yeah. are crazy oh, awesome. enough. Listen, I'm all for if a woman is the most qualified
1: person to do it, absolutely give her the job if it helps you win games. My my only question is kind of by your own point, coaches mm. are so meticulous and and finicky about those things, would they be willing to have someone who's not with them practicing every single day because they're a soccer
0: player first? That's interesting, and I agree with that, coaches, that that could be a thing, but also from what you hear about special teams players anyway during these practices and training camps and everything is that coaches kind of treat them sometimes like the pitcher throwing the no-hitter or the perfect game where they don't want to do anything to get in their head so they kind of leave them alone for the most part because they don't want to mess with the kicker um so yeah i think, so it, I who think knows? it depends on the coach in the program i think yeah. there are certain
1: programs that could pull it off and certain coaches that would not be comfortable
0: with it yeah i don't know it's really interesting and, that's, you know, we, we, we've talked about Vanderbilt for being 0 and 7 way too much, but shout out to Sarah Fuller. She did great. It was hysterical how many people became kicking and kickoff experts on Twitter right. as if th- you knew what they were doing. It was like, they're 0-8. They're down however many, many points. They're like, let's just pin them deep. Like, that was the game plan, and they executed it. That might have been the best run play of Vanderbilt's entire game was her kickoff, which was, you know— says something about their team and their situation. But shout-out to her. That was awesome to see. Moving over to your team, your Ohio State Buckeyes. As we, you mentioned, game canceled against Illinois. You had a previous game also canceled. You have to get to six to play in the Big Ten Championship. You are 4-0. I don't know. I haven't seen the updates today facility was still closed yesterday potentially more positives coming in are you concerned at all that one you're not going to be able to get this game off or two michigan football who is having an outbreak will not be able to play their game in two weeks and michigan will have to cancel that game and you won't make the big 10 championship
1: yeah i'm absolutely terrified (laughs) (laughs) and and this is all obviously secondary to the fact that the health and safety of human beings is obviously the most important thing. Yes. Um but but it is very frustrating that you know the Maryland game was canceled as no fault of Ohio State's. Mm-hmm. Um their collateral damage, potentially the Michigan game canceled if Michigan, you know, and right now it's not looking good, that would not be because of Ohio State. Ryan Day has already said he will not coach this upcoming Saturday at Michigan State um, if they are to play. Um, I have a lot of concerns. Now, I think the really interesting question becomes, can you make an argument that they're actually almost better off not playing in the Big Ten championship game if they were allowed to play Wisconsin that weekend because it would be a better opponent um, than Northwestern?
0: Interesting. Because what's? I don't I
1: don't think they're better off, but but I'm sort of going through all the phases of like not being able to handle this really well and trying to make myself feel better.
0: (laughs) Yes. So reading the the report from Heather Dinch, ESPN, great writer from just a couple hours this morning is that Coach Day will not be coaching and that. Uh, the associate head coach and defensive line coach Larry Johnson will handle the coaching responsibilities on Ohio State if they are able to play.
1: Which would be awesome, by the way, because I believe he would be the first African-American head coach in Ohio State football history, which which you know, is, is long overdue.
0: So Ohio State has said that they need to return to practice by Thursday. So we're recording this on Tuesday the 1st. They have to be practicing on Thursday for them to play. My main question for you is, do you think this will matter for the college playoff? Because Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the country.
1: Unquestionably, in my opinion. I, I think that Ohio State has benefited from the the not-automatic conference champion gets uh,
0: sent in. What year was that, 2015 or
1: 2016? Yeah. When um, Penn State won the conference, but Ohio State made the playoffs and then let's not talk about what happened in the playoff. Um, (laughs) I I think there's precedent that they have done that. I just think it's very short sighted of the big 10 to not have any wiggle room at all. It just feels like the conference messed up. Um, I do not envy the folks on the college football playoff committee because I just think that they can either go with their gut of what they know are the best teams in the country um, or they can go with what, you know, potentially the numbers say in terms of the, the, um, you know, kind of a cop out in terms of, well, they proved it against seven teams, right right many games or whatever it is. So, um, I just think it's really flawed and I get it. Everything's incredibly unprecedented right now. Um, but it just doesn't feel like it's going, no one's going to go home happy is, yeah. is my feeling. Um, What's
0: interesting uh, I, is that Northwestern lost to Michigan State this past weekend. Yep, they were undefeated, ranked number eight in the country, eight in the playoff. If Northwestern was undefeated going into the Big Ten championship, and let's say Ohio State <laughs> is not able to play because of all the COVID right, cancellations,
1: Indiana without Michael Penix Jr.,
0: who just who's now out for the season. Northwestern would have a great chance to win that game. It would have been bonkers and the most 2020 thing ever for Northwestern who's coming off, I believe, a 3-9 and campaign in 2019 to be undefeated Big Ten champions. And most likely, I don't think you could say undefeated Northwestern is not in the college World playoff because it would be Alabama, assuming that they went out, Notre Dame and Clemson. And only then one Big Ten team. And is it Ohio State's fault if they're 4-0 and Northwestern is 8-0 or 9-0? Like, no, but at the same time, it's should they get credit for not having an outbreak of their own? I don't know. Like, it would be, as you said, an impossible situation for I, I think the playoff committee. I, I, we're going
1: to time travel a little bit here because obviously this will not we're recording this right now on Tuesday afternoon before the the updated playoff rankings come out and this will be released I believe Wednesday morning Mm -hmm. after the Alex football playoff rankings come out so but I think the rankings this week are going to be very very important because if Ohio State falls out of the top four this week having not played um, that to me is going to be very indicative of, of what their decision will be at the end whereas if they remain in the top four this week I think that also will be, on the flip side, very indicative of of them saying, making a statement and saying Ohio State's still one of the four best teams in the country. That's how we feel. Um, what interests me is we could very well have a scenario, David, where the last spot comes down to
0: Cincinnati and Ohio State. That would be fun. And... and That state might go crazy
1: if Cincinnati makes it over Ohio State because of lack of games.
0: Yes. And look, Cincinnati, for people who haven't seen them because they are in the AAC, they're not playing marquee games, they're pretty good for for the folks who haven't seen them. And they have beaten beaten some good teams in their conference by a lot. And they have a good coach. Um, They've been very good the last three seasons. I think last year they were in the top 15, basically the whole the whole campaign. And look, I've always pushed for and called for a non-Power 5 school or a non-basically uh, Big Ten, ACC, SEC school to get in. Because so I think it's good for the game to... Even if they lose by a lot to Alabama, I think it's good for the overall game of college football for there to be the feeling of parity, that it's not a divide. It's not the haves and the have-nots of the top eight is so much better than everyone else. Even if they are, I feel that's what makes March Madness so exciting is that everyone gets a chance at least. And even though the big dogs usually win, everyone gets a chance. In college football, we don't always see the little guy getting a chance.
1: I, I agree, and you could make a very convincing argument that, you know, if if Notre Dame, let's say, loses to Clemson in the ACC championship game, you could make an argument that, you know, the wins, even though they're against a group of five teams, like SMU was a significant win. Yeah. Memphis, significant win. Like, and we're just going to say ACC wins are better. Like, what about Duke? Yeah. What about Syracuse? What about Wake Forest? Like,
0: is are beating really
1: better competition than than they are than most of the games, but than some of the games that Cincinnati's playing? Yeah. I, Power Five doesn't is not always better. Now, it, it, of course, Notre Dame has the win over Clemson, but it. I, and I have a lot of arguments about. Clemson being ranked ahead of Ohio State last week. (laughs) There's plenty of, you know, arguments and and things to be had, but my point is, I would like to see Cincinnati sneak into that four spot, unless huge caveat, it's at the expense of the Ohio State Buckeyes.
0: I'm with you. I would love to see it. And one thing you said that's really, really interesting is that a power five schedule is not always the best thing in the world. We're seeing that with Notre Dame this year. Right, So Notre Dame, because of the pandemic, a lot of conferences, they said, look, if the way that we're going to play football this year is we're going to do conference-only schedules. Notre Dame, being a football independent, every game they play is a non-conference game for their opponent. All of a sudden, they had zero games coming into the season. Because all other sports in, for, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is a part of the ACC. They're on a one-year loan to the ACC where I could, and you could probably easily make the argument that their schedule is better as a football independent than as a member of the ACC where they play Duke and wake, even though that game got canceled a down Florida state team pit, a down Pitt team, Georgia tech. Like, yes, it's awesome. Cause you'll play Clemson every year, but you also have some down games as well when, in when they're independents, they can schedule who they want, and a lot of times end up with an awesome schedule like Georgia, and the ACC teams they want to play like Virginia, Michigan, BC, Stanford. Like they can they end up playing a pretty tough schedule as a football independent.
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny because BYU sort of is in a similar boat. Yeah. Um. <laughs> BYU had games this year. I just looked it up scheduled against Utah,
0: Michigan state, Arizona state, Minnesota, Missouri, and Stanford. Yeah. Like that would have been an awesome schedule with All an games. awesome quarterback. BYU, really good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Zach Wilson's awesome. So it, the whole conference only thing, I think not only, you know, it, it bailed out Notre Dame in a lot of ways, but also screwed them. But it, it really, I think screwed BYU. Yes. Um, in that same thing and I've gone on record as saying the ACC should have stiff armed Notre Dame and, and and said join permanently or don't join at all.
0: Yeah. And I think Ace, and, I, and I and if I was Notre Dame I would say, "Okay, I don't need you. I have a huge TV deal that we don't have to share with anyone else with NBC. Like I'm not jo- like we don't need like you need us more than we need you." would be the way that I look at it because for, for whatever reason, Notre Dame is still a huge, huge draw and a huge uh, television event when they play big games or just any game, really. Otherwise NBC wouldn't have them exclusively. They would add a lot of value to the ACC network, to the ACC television package for Notre Dame sports. That's just the way that it is. And if I'm Notre Dame, I'd be like, look, you guys aren't making that compelling of a case. I mean, The Florida State is canceling games the day of, which I don't have a problem with. Like, side note, side tangent, all these coaches saying that they want to have all the test results in Friday night before they leave, I get it. It would be so frustrating as a player or as a coach to fly or travel to a game, and then two hours beforehand it gets postponed. But this is a global pandemic where the safest— Where It's out of your control, and also the safest way to play, as if these people haven't realized in the last eight months of the the virus, which is that you can develop it very quickly and test positive very quickly from showing no symptoms to being symptomatic very quickly or asymptomatic positive very quickly, that they should be timing it to get all the test results at, like, if the game's kicking off at noon, 1155, right? Like, as as close to kickoff as possible. I don't have a problem with Florida State. Yeah, it's a bummer, but, like okay, Virginia, you got out of the cold in Virginia you were down in Tallahassee. All the players said they were hanging out by the pool. It sounded great to them. Yeah, they were bummed not to play, but they were like, hey, we were at the pool like we made the most of it.
1: Yeah, it's just a crummy situation. There's no other way to put it. I I, I just, everyone's doing their best.
0: I think it was Bruce Feldman. It might have been Stuart Mandel on The Athletic wrote an article about the coaching carousel and questions athletic directors should be asking.
1: Yep, saw this article, read it this morning. That was a good one.
0: It was a good one, and one of the questions was, how did you handle the pandemic? Because Dabo and this Virginia coach, you know, it's all about how are you going to handle the unexpected things that come up, things things out of your control, how are you going to handle it? And, you know, they're not coming across great to, to the average fan who sees it. Yes, it's a bummer. Yes, it stinks. Yes, you want to compete and everything, but... Some things are out of your control, and you just got to adjust and deal with it. And I thought Virginia did better than Florida State. That's why I really like their their players' sayings. They weren't tweeting like we want to play the way that the Clemson guys were. They were like, yeah, we got an off day. We hung out. We watched football. Like We got to bond as a team. Like We made the most of it. The players were like, look, it's 2020. Things are gonna be crazy things are going to happen. We just got to adjust and make the most of the situation.
1: I'm with you. I I, I was impressed, but I I was so unimpressed with the way Clemson
0: handled it. Yeah, that was was a disaster.
1: It it was nice to see uh, a little bit of perspective.
0: Speaking of Clemson, I have a theory for you. Okay. Based on what the Denver Broncos went through, for anyone who wasn't watching NFL this weekend, the Denver Broncos quarterbacks had a maskless lunch film session this past Tuesday. One of the quarterbacks tested positive as the NFL reviewed the security tape and investigated what happened, they ruled all the other quarterbacks out this week because of contact tracing and being close contacts. They were not eligible to play. All four of their quarterbacks. That meant the Denver Broncos had to go with their fifth string, elevated off the practice squad, wide receiver, Kendall Hinton, Hinton, who pl- played a little quarterback at Wake Forest. And yes, you know, respect to him for stepping up in a, impossible situation but the Broncos had zero chance to win that game Hinton went one for nine with 13 yards and two interceptions he threw more completed passes to the other team than to his own team proving once and for all for everyone at home playing quarterback in the NFL is really 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 hard and not anyone can do it but if I'm Clemson and I've already lost one game and struggled in another against Boston College with no Trevor Lawrence I would do everything in my power to isolate Lawrence from the rest of the team, not so that he could contract COVID again, but so that he isn't a close contact out because someone else got COVID. I would have him practice on a separate field, <laughs> take a separate plane to the game, a separate bus. He's in a different hotel. He's he's not eating with the team, right? Like everything is, is separate because – you need him to play more than anybody else. And yes, they could be like, you know, I, I would, you know, I don't know if I would go as far as having Lawrence sit out this weekend, even if DJ, I think, could win them the rest of the games this season, get them ready for the Notre Dame game. But I wouldn't take any chances with Lawrence and really the, the, these other teams too with their quarterbacks of why are they doing meetings together? <laughs> your top guy or at least one guy ha- have dj uh be the the quarantine backup just by himself in a in as much of a bubble as as that,
1: that was going to be my argument. Yeah. Like, I don't think you cannot play Trevor Lawrence. I I do think it would be a good idea however to and Clemson has two backups with the most challenging names to pronounce in the entire yeah, country. Yeah, it's brutal. But like I think the idea of either isolating dj guangalele or the third string quarterback tason Fomachan i'm really sorry uh <laughs> if, if, if old farms if, um he's the third stringer you know i
0: i do think that's actually a pretty good idea just to make sure you have a quarterback yeah. and you get stuck uh
1: like the broncos did but um I don't think you can do it with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's just too risky. Look what happened with against, um, Boston college. Look, you know, it's just not worth the risk. You got to make sure he's grooving before you play the conference championship game against presumably Notre Dame. It's just not,
0: I agree. He should play in the games, but I would, I would, I would wonder about practice. I don't think you can mess with his rhythm like that. I'm okay. Okay. If you want to do meetings differently, um,
1: but, but I, I think he needs to practice. I mean, okay. he's awesome, but he's not,
0: you know. Okay. DJ needs to be on, on a separate field. Can we both agree with that? Because he's, he's Great. really good. He, yeah, okay. Because the Broncos thing was just so crazy. Petrifying. Petrifying. And the NFL was like, we're not rescheduling the game. This is your fault. You didn't follow the rules. We're hoping that Jeff Driscoll is okay because he has the coronavirus. But they were like, we're not rescheduling the game. You guys screwed up. But yet. But yet this the, is a loss. The, the, the Steelers and the Ravens
1: are going to end up keep postponing this game, and they're going to play it in February. We're going to have a Valentine's Day Ravens-Steelers game.
0: And the craziest part about it is the Steelers also had a couple positives too. It wasn't just the Ravens. And the Ravens' problem was that they didn't have enough of a roster to play, and the Broncos did. And the interesting part is Taysom Hill, I think, is a below-average NFL quarterback. And comparing Taysom Hill, who also didn't throw for over 100 yards in that game, to what the Broncos were having to do was, it was night and day. Like, you would have thought Taysom Hill was an all-pro compared to what the Broncos were able to do. I mean, it was— Did you watch, did you watch uh, any Kentucky football last year? No. I was smart enough not to watch any Kentucky football. Oh, no, it was awesome. It was awesome. I know. I'm just they, messing with you. They, um— I think, like, all their quarterbacks went out and they moved their wide receiver, Lynn Bowden Jr., yeah. to quarterback.
1: They they just... It, he was so exciting. And if I'm not mistaken, they actually made a bowl game and I think won, like, eight or nine games, as opposed to Maryland. Remember Maryland, like, three or four years ago, um, had, like, four different quarterbacks
0: um, hurt, and they had to have, like, a backup linebacker playing quarterback for most of the year? Yeah, it, 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 it always happens to in these crazy, crazy situations where every coach is like, I've never had to deal with this before. (laughs) And then obviously it then happens to you. And I don't don't know. It was, it was crazy. If, if I'm every, if, if I'm a football coach, I'm petrified by it. And I would do something in my own program about making sure, Hey, even if it is the third string guy and you don't think he's going to play, at all or be a crazy situation 2020 has proven crazy enough that i would take the extra precaution of making sure that you had at least one of your viable quarterbacks able to play you know what my advice would be and this is terrible advice uh,
1: with and take it from an ohio state fan they should uh, make sure that they have Urban Meyer as their head coach and Tom Herman as their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And then if your first two quarterbacks are unable to play, you can just put in Cardell Jones, and <laughs> beat Wisconsin, uh, Alabama, and Oregon in three straight games to win the national
0: title. Who needs first or second <laughs> stringers? That's a good point. Ohio State quarterback you. Uh, yeah, I wish, I wish. We're getting there. We're getting there. Quinn Ewers, baby. We're getting there. All right. Playoff predictions, uh, not much has changed for me from last week. I still think it's Ohio State. Uh, sorry, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. Worried about Ohio State now. The four spot is up in the air. I would love it to be Cincinnati. BYU got no respect in the rankings 9 0 <laughs> and 15. Coastal Carolina, 8 0 and 20. Just no respect for the undefeateds. I'll throw Cincinnati in there because I don't think Ohio State will end up playing this weekend. It just doesn't seem like it yet. But, hey, I could easily be wrong. And even though I think Ohio State's the fourth best team in the country, I'll throw Cincinnati in there at four.
1: Uh, I'm going to correct you. Ohio State's actually the second or third best team.
0: um, (laughs) Sorry. I just like poking fun at you. It's like poking the bear. I, I, I actually don't. I
1: think Ohio State's is going to get screwed. I think they're going to sneak out, um, get kept out. I actually think, um, and I was wrong last time, but I think Clemson is going to come back with a vengeance and and beat Notre Dame really really
0: really badly. Interesting. Um, to the point where I think Notre Dame ends up out of the playoffs, and I think Wow. Gonna end up with Alabama, Clemson, Texas A and M, and Cincinnati. Interesting. I don't want to watch Kellen Mont in the playoff. That's just...
1: Well, he, he's actually been pretty good this year, um, and I, I I would say I think the rankings coming out tonight, and again, when this gets posted, I'm either going to yeah. look like
0: a, a, a savant or an idiot, but um, I think a and going to be fourth this week. I think it's
1: going to go... Um, Whatchamacallit? I think it's going to go Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Texas A&M. Interesting. And I wouldn't even be shocked, to be honest, if the two Ohio teams dropped further. I, I think interesting. We're gonna see Florida. It's either going to be Florida or Cincinnati 5-6, and six, and then I think Ohio State's going to be 7th, wow. personally.
0: Well, it's interesting about Texas A&M, and I know that all the Texas A&M fans down at College Station are like, Logan Payne Jimbo Fisher, I think $100 million or something in his contract we want to be
1: the original contract was like 10 years 75 million dollars okay. or something like that. I don't know if there was ever an extension, but
0: they're they're probably like hey, we want to be in the playoff and winning national championships. But for his third season, they're doing really well. He's got them in a prime position as you're talking about potentially making the playoff. They're recruiting pretty well. They're competing in the SEC. Yeah. I think the Jimbo Fisher era at Texas A&M so far is is off to as good of a start as as you could ask for. Well, it's it's so interesting, and you're
1: right. They're doing a nice job, and part of it is they finally developed Kellen Mond to
0: yeah. be a,
1: a more consistent quarterback. But I think Ari Wasserman on the Athletic wrote about this maybe a week or two ago. Texas AM and is in this really weird spot where even if Jimbo Fisher keeps pulling in, you know, top seven or eight recruiting classes in the country, it's still only like the third or fourth best recruiting class in the conference. Yeah, it's weird. Um,
0: it's because of and, how loaded it is. Ultimately, that's the issue. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, you could the eighth best team in the country might still be the fourth best team in the SEC in some years, and yeah. uh, y- you know that's what's keeping them out. And and so I
0: think they're recruiting well. I think they need to join the elite and start bringing in top three classes. Interesting. Um,
1: if they want to, I mean, don't get me wrong. One year, you know, obviously Alabama smacked them this year, but. Like they could beat Georgia or Florida or LSU or Alabama in any given year. I think just to have those undefeated runs and build what, like Urban Meyer's Florida teams were, or um, you know what, what even those uh, obviously the Alabama teams have been like. You just have to; they need to just take another jump,
0: and it's just yeah. so
1: hard to do. So hard to do.
0: It's it's really hard to do, and you know we'll see. One of the big things that Florida State too is that he had guys. Seemingly constantly in off the field trouble as well. So, you know, we'll see how that all plays out at Texas A&M flipping over to the college hoop season off to perhaps an even more chaotic start than the college football season did back in September. We are getting games canceled, postponed left and right. No one knows what's going on. No one knows who they're playing. You had Baylor who flew out to Las Vegas on Thanksgiving night without an opponent. They were just Vegas was like, "Look, we got a spot for you. We don't know who you're playing. Can you come out?" And they were like, "Sure, we're we're there." Mike Bray, the Notre Dame coach, is tweeting out, "Is anyone free on December fourth to play a game? We will travel as if they're like an AAU team looking for a tournament, not like Notre Dame in the ACC." This is nuts. the ske- The scheduling people. This is a, a so far a disaster. Uh, no one knows what's going on. No one knows who's playing. Uh, the ESPN website's like breaking because they don't There's know the, if oh, it's, it's, it's postponed scary. or canceled. Like, um, but somehow they're playing basketball. Some games are being played. I really like. Illinois, who's 3-0, and ranked fifth in the country now, they went with a strategy that I like to call play as many games in a row in case the season gets canceled because the first three days that they could play basketball games, they did. They won. Barely survived against Ohio, who has a great point guard, Jason Preston, who was really impressive. Uh, I think he had like 30 and 10. It was an incredible game. They have a big week coming up, Baylor and Duke matchups. All in all, just what was your th- just your initial reaction or things that jumped out from just the first crazy week of college basketball games? Yeah, just echoing you, it was nuts, and and that sort of is the
1: overriding thing. But I think I think the second um, thing that stands out to me is just how good Gonzaga is. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of really good freshmen. Um, I'm excited to see more of them actually tonight in the, the, the really exciting double header, the, mm-hmm. uh, what we're going to see what Kentucky, Kansas
0: and, uh, preceded by what Duke and Michigan state. Yeah. The champions um, classic. But I, I mean, Jalen Suggs, man. He is
1: better than expected. And he was a five-star point guard, but he probably should have been one of the top three or four players in the country based on the way he's played. And, um, He's four. he's athletic, he's, I mean, he's a freak. I mean, some of the way, he threw a pass out of a pick and roll against um, Kansas. He was going to his left, he had a hedger, like a big guy hedging up on him, and he threw like an on-the-button pass to Joel Ayai in the
0: corner. Yeah, that was an incredible play. Completely... I was more impressed with that play than the alley-oop dunk.
1: Yeah, just completely against the grain. And I think Ayayi was like, "Oh, I wasn't supposed to be open. Like, how is it <laughs> possible that I have this ball?" And and I mean, he he Suggs might have even played even better the next day against Auburn. Yeah, he just has such impressive command for a freshman. Um, you know, he's sort of a reverse Terrell Pryor, mm-hmm. a guy who would have been a high four star. You know, Terrell Pryor would, would have been a high four-star basketball player and was a five-star quarterback. Jalen Suggs was sort of the opposite. He was a high four-star quarterback and a five-star basketball player. Um, it, so hopefully Jalen Suggs can get through his college career without selling
0: memorabilia in exchange for free tattoos. You never but, know. Uh, the, the Spokane fans are pretty crazy. <laughs> but,
1: but I, I mean, Jalen Suggs is just amazing, and he's a guy who – I think we now have to start talking about in the top of mock drafts, right? How are you going to pass on that guy?
0: So I agree with you. He was awesome. He played really, really well. I wouldn't start putting him in the top five just yet, even though I'm a huge fan of his, because as we saw with the NBA draft this year, so many teams have point guards that unless he is truly, truly awesome, I could see just the wings, whether it's B.J. Boston, Zaire Williams, Kate Cunningham, yeah. these these guys who are just a little bit bigger. What's really interesting about this Gonzaga team is they have youth. They have Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, who looked like one of the best big guys in the country with his spin moves and hooks and, and yeah, ones. Did, and, did, we, did anyone even
1: think about Philip Petrusev, who
0: yeah, was pretty
1: like the WCC player of the year last year?
0: Yeah, and <laughs> went to play in Serbia. Like so they have those two guys, and then they have Joel Ayay from France as another guard spot. He's a junior Corey Kispert, who might be my favorite player on the team to watch, he's a six-seven senior who is not just the the shooter that you just think he is, but he can also put the ball on the deck. He had a beautiful and one like spin move. You know, he can drive by guys. He was doing that against Kansas, not just some weak WCC right. team. He's doing it against Kansas. And how about Andrew Nembark Yeah, uh, transfer from transfer from prospect. Florida.
1: For Florida for two years
0: like yeah he's coming off the bench he's coming off the bench and he fits in perfectly as a Canadian former five-star transfer like he fits he checks every box for a Gonzaga stud and then the most interesting player on the team potentially long-term is their backup big guy Umar Balo who yeah. is from Mali he was I believe a four or five-star prospect uh, played really well at the basketball without borders NBA camp Gonzaga signed him, he redshirted last year. This dude is 7 feet tall, 260 pounds, and he jumped off the screen when watching him against <laughs> Kansas. And of court with the big people, it was like, wait, who is that guy? I think he could develop into an Azabuki-type player for Gonzaga, uh, or a Kofi Cockburn-type player, who is just humongous, super strong, physically dominating, or... Uh, when they had the the rotation of Sabonis coming off the bench and Zach Collins and Karnowski, like I think he's gonna get better and he could be their Karnowski or their Collins coming off the bench, uh in the big man rotation because Timmy he's is really, really good because Timmy's really good. But and he's humongous, he's physical, he has decent touch from what we saw. You know, he you can't judge too much off the first two games, but I was really really impressed. I was not impressed, however, by the fact that they had a couple positive COVID tests Thursday after the game and then they decided to play Auburn the next day. Like, Don't just push the game back a day or two. Auburn needs to play you more than you need to play them because they're not eligible for the postseason because they suspended themselves, which says a lot more about the bad things that they did than uh, what the NCAA could have done. Push that game back. You're going to win anyway. I thought that was a bad look for the Gonzaga program. In my opinion,
1: yeah, not ideal. But if the medical professionals said it's okay, then you know we have to assume it's okay. I would think that Mark Few and that administration would be um, smart enough to not risk a whole season because of one game.
0: That's that's fair. I just think that hey, you're the top team in the country. Everyone's looking at you. You're the only thing going on that that Friday. You knew it was going to get out. I think it just poses a lot of questions about why you did something instead of, hey, if you just said, hey, a bunch of caution, we're going to delay the game or play it the next day. Everyone is like – everyone totally understands. I think they get more positive press out of it than, uh, than by rushing to play. What were some other teams that you were really impressed by? We, we mentioned Illinois who – played really well Gonzaga who are some other teams that that you noticed that the first week uh,
1: Luca Garza and Iowa uh, obviously started off really strong um, you know I think that on the other end of things some teams that impressed me by beating teams we thought were going to be really good were uh, Richmond and San Francisco
0: uh, yes Richmond good San really Francisco well. big win San Francisco with a big win over Virginia. And and that brings me to they have a lot of now no fans, right? So it's a little weird seeing the Dean Dome with, with no fans, camera hey, indoor, was, with seats pushed back. But what, but, but, but what that brings is it's almost like a neutral site game where I think this could lead to a lot more upsets because we've seen over the last 5, 10 years the gap between the top of college basketball and the middle of college basketball is closing. And without the home court advantage, I think we could see a lot more closer games, and maybe even more upsets as we're playing these games at neutral site locations too.
1: Yeah, potentially. I I think the biggest factor for the crowd is how it influences referees and true. Um. So so it, it's just going to be curious to me. For example, I watched the end of the um, and, and don't get me wrong, a lot of these tournaments preseason be Neutral site, anyway. Yes, but as we go forward, it'll be really interesting. So for sure, uh, especially in like,
0: conference like, play. Watching the end of the Villanova um,
1: Virginia Tech game the other day when Virginia Tech beat Villanova, but at the end of regulation, the referee signaled a call that would have ended the game for Virginia Tech, and then they ended up reversing the call and, and called a, a, a foul on Virginia Tech and uh, gave. Villanova free throws that ended up sending it into overtime, and it was one of those situations where I was just sitting there, like whether it's the right or wrong call. If this game was in Villanova at the Pavilion, it, you know that ref is is feeling a little bit differently.
0: <laughs> Art, but but did you like you know side tangent about the coach about on the inbounds play? You had to go the full length of the court, knowing it's unlikely having a guy take a charge on the guy who's guarding the inbounder, so he runs you over, so that you get free throws. Do you like that strategy yet? As a coach, because we always played the collegiate school when I was at Poly, and they would always do it, and it would always work. And we'd be like, God, you know, darn it. Like, they did it again. They got two more free throws. Like, it's if you can yeah. run it well, it's like when you pass the ball out of bounds. Uh, if you can do it, it works really well.
1: Yeah, you know, it it, it feels a little cheap. A little bit, in, in yeah. In a way, it feels a little bit outside of the game of basketball but at the same time um bravo for executing it um you know i've seen it before i have that in my repertoire i've not used it as the head coach of prep but even while i'm saying it feels a little cheap and outside of the game of basketball i, I i'm telling you i'm not I'm putting it on record i'll use it if it if we need it and right. ultimately you know good for jay Wright, good for villanova for pulling it off and You know, uh, Virginia Tech ended up coming back to win in overtime. But, you know, I think it was Justin Mutz who who committed the foul. Like, it's one of those things that you just have to talk about. Yeah. Because ultimately it was, you know, the correct call. And you just have to have more discipline. So um, no matter how you feel about it as a fan, like as a coach, it's a really smart thing to do.
0: Which game this week are you most excited for? We mentioned that tonight, we won't preview the games, but tonight... We have Duke-Michigan State, and then Kentucky-Kansas. We have Baylor-Gonzaga later in the week. We have Baylor-Illinois this, this week. There's, a, I think they're playing one more team off the top of my head. I just can't remember. Which game are you most excited to watch this week? Well,
1: I think Baylor and Gonzaga are the two best teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it's hard not to um, be excited about, about them. But one of the things I'm really excited for, and
0: I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but Creighton plays Kansas next Tuesday. Okay, okay. Hopefully, Creighton
1: plays Kansas next Tuesday. Right, right.
0: And um,
1: I, I just think that's gonna be really fun. I think Marcus Zagorowski is awesome. Um, I think Kansas, obviously, depending on what happens tonight, uh, uh could need a top ten win. And I, I think that's going to be a really exciting matchup. Uh, Kansas is playing differently this year. We've seen a lot yeah. of five out from them in that Gonzaga game. Yeah. I think Creighton and Greg McDermott are a tremendous offensive team. Um, that's a game I'm excited about.
0: Interesting. That's going to be a good one. You know, I think Illinois, it's Illinois Duke as well. Uh, I'll probably say that the the Baylor-Gonzaga game just because that's my team, the second best team, but I'm really excited for uh, Duke against Michigan State tonight. I think that's going to be a really, really good game. I like That's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. And as we are wrapping up here, Coach, you know, I always appreciate the time. As, as we wrap up, I just want to shout out all the moms, all the grandmas, all the members of the Extend family who saw one year ago last November that their family member was going to be playing in the Battle for Atlantis or the Maui Invitational, and they booked flights and trips and vacations in this holiday period around going to the beautiful resort in Atlantis and Maui. And instead, because of the pandemic and COVID, the Battle for Atlantis tournament is being played in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Set out Sioux Falls. I actually like Sioux Falls and the Pentagon. It's a nice place. But look, Sioux Falls in November, not the same as the Bahamas. And the Maui Invitational is not in Hawaii. It's in Asheville, North Carolina, where it snowed this morning on Tuesday. It was 28 degrees instead of, you know, Hawaii. And Bubbleville was this thing at Mohegan Sun. Probably a bad year financially for the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut because, you know, not that many people traveling and everything, not events. But a weirdly great year for them in terms of national recognition. They're hosting this Bubbleville. They're in the news a lot in the sports world. Uncut Gems. If you saw that Adam Sandler movie, I talked about that last year on the podcast. The climax of that movie was filmed large part at Mohican Sun. So a weird year for a Mohican Sun. But if your nephew or grandson theoretically was playing in the Battle for Atlantis, and then they called you, "Uh, hey, uh, we're we're actually going to be in uh, Asheville this week. Do you still want to come?" How fast do you say no. <laughs> uh you know
1: I'm just going to go support my family but uh but maybe I'm going to tell them that if they're good enough to turn pro they can buy me a trip to Atlanta uh, at, at that point as a thank you for supporting them through their time in Asheville North Carolina
0: How's that is that a fair is that a it's fair. politicians response or what It's fair I I would say you know like make sure you look good on TV I'm, like sorry (laughs) yeah 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 fair fair but peak it's as peak 2020 as as it could be coach always always great talking to you have a great week and uh, enjoy the college basketball
1: thanks Dave you too appreciate you having me as always of
0: course that'll do it for this episode of the double double if you like this podcast you can find us on iTunes Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and you can subscribe rate and review five stars would be much much appreciated You also follow us on Twitter at dbl underscore dbl podcast. Be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.